Welcome to the Prayer House's podcast channel. We're so glad that you found us here. Hey, in a moment, we're going to be hearing from Pete Milner, who spoke to us a few Sundays ago about what it means to be a pneumatic Christian. What does that mean? And what does that mean for you, for the people around you and the world that we live in today? So here we go. Father, thank you so much for the gift that is your word. And I pray, Father, for everyone listening to this, that they would be encouraged, built up, and spurred on to be who you are calling them to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a difference between a pneumatic something and a hydraulic something, isn't there? Because the hydraulic one uses water, which is pressed under pressure to move the digger arm or whatever it is. A pneumatic one is propelled by breath, air, compressed air. That's what it is, a compressed air drill. And the reason it sounds like is because that's air kind of being pumped through a pump and that's how the drill works, right? So the Bible teaches us that you are not just human so that when you have accepted Jesus Christ, you are more than merely human but that you are in fact totally human, and yet you've become pneumatic as well. The whole idea is that the spirit of God, which is pneuma, the pneuma, the breath of God, sets up residence in your life and propels you, drives you, enables you to work, fills you with power for his program. And so we become Pneumatic people. How exciting is that? Oh, yay. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about that and about what sort of an effect we hope that will have on our lives and what sort of um, ways we still have yet to experience what that is in its fullness as far as we at the prayer house, me individually, you and all of us and the world. Because when... You look at the Bible and you look at, especially, say, Acts, the book of Acts that describes all the things that happened. Um, There's this great setup in the first few chapters where the believers have seen Jesus return to the heaven. And one of the last things he told them was that he would send his spirit, his pneuma, to fill them and send them. And they will receive power from on high when God breathes on them. And so there's a few of them together in a room, and what happens is the pneuma of God, the breath of God, the power and spirit of God blows into the room in such a way that the whole thing shakes, and people are overcome with an experience of power, and they are just filled with the most enlivening experience of God's grace and goodness that they bust out of the door and fill the streets and can't stop telling everyone. They pneumatically managed to speak languages they didn't even learn, haven't even heard before. They can speak to people from Asia, from Africa, from Europe, all sorts of different languages, enabled by the Spirit, pneumatic speaking of languages. They can do miracles all of a sudden. Ordinary people like you and me were laying their hands on sick people or walking past sick people and they just leave well people in their wake. And they were experiencing the fullness of the pneumatic life. And just as a pneumatic drill is able to break apart 
the very foundations of buildings that have been built to endure so the pneumatic Christian is able to destroy the foundations of everything in the world that is set against God. Sometimes through miracles, sometimes through divine appointments, sometimes through wonderful infillings of faith and wisdom and love, goodness, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All of those are pneumatic. They all come through the Holy Spirit. And the thing the church had to understand was that everything we receive from God, we receive pneumatically. We receive through the Holy Spirit. And all of the true things that you believe, they didn't just come to you from a kindly relative or neighbor or pastor. They weren't just taught to you in that sense. They were given to you by the Holy Spirit for you to look after and to share. Because all of the things the Spirit gives us are not just for our personal good, but for the collective good of everybody. Because God's goal is not just one pneumatic person like Jesus, because when he got baptized, the Spirit sends on him as a dove, and God says, wow, you know, this is my son. I'm so pleased with him. And Jesus, filled with the Spirit, goes into the wilderness, filled by the Spirit, goes out to preach, filled by the Spirit, is overcome with godly compassion and power, and he does miracles, and all of it is pneumatic. And I'm going to read to you from the book of 1 Corinthians today, chapter 2, and I want to offer you a, a way of understanding 1 Corinthians, because it's not that simple. It's quite a complicated book. It's quite a long book for the New Testament, and there's loads of stuff in it, which is quite hard to kind of translate into our kind of normal way of talking about Christianity and following Jesus. But this word, pneumatic, and in Greek, pneumatikos, is, is the word. It's, it's about, am I a spirit-filled person, a spiritual person, a person enlivened and propelled by, powered by the Holy Spirit, or am I a natural person who's normally human, wise, sensible, common sense, that kind of thing? They're offered up as a contrast in 1 Corinthians in a big way. And Paul says, you can be a pneumaticos or you can be a human, just human, like everybody. So, Christmas music has begun. <laughs> we are in October, but here we are. Um, let's read from chapter 2, verse uh, 6 to begin. Among the mature... We do impart wisdom, even though it's not a wisdom typical of this age or the rulers of this age. They're all doomed to pass away. Instead, we impart a secret, a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages began for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, because if they did, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us pneumatically through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches out everything, even the depths of God. For he who knows a person's thoughts uh, sorry, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? 
So also nobody comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we can understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this, not in words or taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths with those who are spiritual. So taught by the pneuma, interpreting the pneumatic gifts to pneumatic people. See how that kind of works? The natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to them. And they're not able to understand them because they are spiritually understood or discerned. The spiritual person, though, judges all things, but they themselves are to be judged by no one. For they who have understand, understood the mind of the Lord, so to, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? For we have the mind of Christ. So there is, an, there is a supernatural delivery of a great deal of subject matter. Wisdom, Paul says. And it doesn't come about like earthly wisdom, but it is like it. Now, if you want to understand, the di- what would you say the difference between knowledge and wisdom was? Let me offer you this. P.E.'s personal understanding about knowledge and wisdom in Western culture is that knowing stuff is sensible and clever and good because knowing things is useful. Wisdom is for old bearded blokes sitting in a library stroking fat books and being weird. You know, it's all about like, what if the sky was green instead of blue and idle questions like that. Wisdom, we learn to think, oh, wisdom, that's not useful. I want knowledge I can use. But that is in the Western philosophical tradition in which we kind of learn to think that way. In the Bible, it's the other way round, kind of. Wisdom is about how things get done. And knowledge is about, you know, what's the capital of Cambodia? It's like, even if you knew, it wouldn't help you much. It's just head knowledge, right? Wisdom is about how do you actually do things. When Solomon asks God for wisdom, God says, what will you have? What will you give? You know, one wish, Solomon, what will it be? Solomon says, I'd like wisdom. But he didn't just mean the beard strokingly, oh, this abstract question kind of wisdom. He was talking about how do I actually be a king? My father, King David, might well have been the greatest king we've ever had, but he was a very, very absent father. And I haven't actually learned how to be a king from him. I've just been sort of sent away to make it up by myself. I don't know how I'm supposed to do ruling. And so he asks for wisdom. He becomes wise and therefore a good ruler. Same with um, when Moses is in the desert with all the people. You know, they've come through the Red Sea. God says, I want you to build me a cabinet and a tent, a special tent to like be the home for my spirit, tabernacle, and a special kind of cabinet we'll call the Ark of the Covenant. And I want you to make them for me out of the things that I'll provide for you. And there's a sort of question as to who's going to make this? What kind of a person can make this cabinet or this tent fabric that has to be very beautiful and very amazing? And the Spirit of God 
the Numa, sets apart two people, Bezalel and Oholiab, great names. And it says they are wise in the art. One of them is the wise cabinet maker, and the other one's the wise fabric upholsterer. A wise plumber is a person who knows how to fix taps and pipes and stuff. A wise housewife is a person who's able to manage a household well. A, a wise teacher, a wise firefighter. In the Bible, the wisdom of God is about how things can actually happen. It's not just about the deep secrets, even if it is a bit about that. And so the wisdom we receive from God to solve the problems he puts in front of us is a pneumatic, by the Spirit, thing. That's how we can do it. Because he enables it by pouring out his Spirit. In, in the Western world, I think we've learned to agree with the world that there's natural stuff and supernatural stuff, and they're very, very separate. And I'm not totally sure that that's that useful for us. Because in the Bible and in 1 Corinthians, everything can be pneumatic. Everything can be powered by the Holy Spirit, whether it's washing dishes or healing relationships or doing a miracle or preaching the gospel. Everything can be pneumatic. And that's how he wants us. He doesn't want us to have only our spiritual stuff, which we do on Sundays or Tuesdays or Wednesdays at life group or at prayer time. He wants to be involved in all of it. And we take the dog for a walk. And we teach the kids how to make a bed. That is part of this whole life, the pneumatic life that's powered by the Spirit overall. So, I love it. I have heard this song before. So, how does it happen? How does a person become a Christian? I mean, really, what do you have to do to be a Christian? Real question. Believe in Jesus. Welcome him into your life. Good. It's not actually doing good things that makes you a Christian, makes you go to heaven. It's not about being a better person than somebody else. It's about believing in him and accepting the gift, isn't it? It's about saying yes. That's how we become a Christian. But going on, the actual process by which a person becomes a Christian is that they are made alive by the Holy Spirit. There is a throne in your heart. Imagine it that way. There's a big throne in your heart and seated on it is the person who is in charge of your life. And mankind always seeks to install themselves on the throne of their own heart. We want our own, we want to be our own boss, right? Nobody tell me what to do. Nobody make me do anything. I want to be independent. I want to be free thinking. I want to be, I want my life to be about myself. Now, um, may I ask the, the new parents over there, um, how good would you say Sophia was aged a week and a half or whatever it is? <laughs> How good would, she, would you say she was at looking after the needs of others at the moment? Not very good. We pray and live in hope that one day 
she will discover how to put the needs of others on an equal footing with the needs of her own self, don't we? And boy, oh boy, is family for that principally. We must learn how to understand the needs of others as being as important as ours. But you aren't born with that. What you're born with is this incredible sense of need for what you need. You squawk and you cry until you're fed or changed or loved and cared about. And at the moment, dear Isra and dear Jazz will fulfill Sophia's needs most fully if they just give her everything she needs. Day by day by day, if they don't feed her, there's no other food. If they don't change her, there's no one else to change her. And if they don't love her, she won't be loved. It just can't be done that way. So they just got to pour themselves out on the needs of somebody else. And eventually, Sophia will grow and, and rise, and then she'll have to be taught how to share, taught how to um, give, how to be kind, right? We don't have to train our kids to be selfish, do they? Do we? They're born that way. We're born self-interested, because if we don't squawk, we might not get enough food. This is the way, this is the journey to maturity that Paul's talking about here. He says, look, this is for the mature. Babies need milk. You just got to feed them milk because that's what they need. It's a simple problem, but that's, that's kind of the deal. Grown humans, you try and live on milk alone, and what are you going to get? Diarrhea. You need more. You need solid food. You need nutritious vegetables and protein and things like that, don't you? And this is the whole thing. I'm going to tell you the story of Israel in a, about a minute and a half. When they're rescued out of Egypt, they're like the little baby. Can't do anything. Haven't learned anything. Haven't got a Bible. Haven't got a priest. Haven't got a sacrifice. Haven't got a temple. Haven't got a land. There's no anything. They're just people in the desert, stuck like babies. And so God makes a big column of fire and says, follow that. And so every time the fire moves, they move. And then they're like, ah, I'm hungry. And so God says, right, it's going to rain food every day for the foreseeable future. And I'm, you're going to be like the baby eating the food. And I'm going to be like the parent giving you the food. And out of, Israel, out of Egypt, I called my own child. You know, your whole nation is like a child. <coughs> Excuse me. And so this poor little baby in the desert is in need of parental love, and God gives the parental love. And when they're bad, it tells them off and restores them back into the right place and feeds them every day, gives them water every day, makes their clothes supernaturally not wear out because they're no good at sewing, and leads them to the promised land. And at the threshold of the promised land, anybody know their Bible well enough to know if the uh, supernatural food provision continues or stops? Stops. One new. But isn't it better to have supernatural food? I'd much rather have supernatural food. I think that manna stuff and roasted quail sounds right. And it's free. Way better. How come God turned the taps off of the provision? That seems profoundly unfair. How come now we've got to go and have a war? They've got to fight a load of people who've set themselves up against God. That seems supremely unfair. What about the water from the rock that followed them in the desert? 
that broke apart and disgorged the water they needed to survive as a people. That's gone. Tap turned off. No more abundant supernatural provision for them. God says, oh, we've got rivers at home. Now you're home. Get your own water. And thereby grow up as a nation. Become mature. Don't stay babies forever. This is the message. If you, if you want to be a pneumatic person, we have to learn to understand what Jesus meant by change and become like children. Because we know that the childlike faith, the simple faith that says yes to Jesus, just like our brothers and sisters were saying, this is how we become a Christian. And Jesus said, unless you change and become like children, you'll never see the kingdom of God. And so we must be born again and be like Sophia, completely dependent upon God's provision for us. And everything we read in the Bible just jumps at us because it's so amazing and new and fresh and exciting. Boy, oh boy, I love it. When people come to Jesus and they lay down their life and they're baptized in the water and they become again like a child, it's the best. Oh, like nurturing a family. And what is the hope that we shall stay like babies forever or that we shall grow and become mature? Is it not that we should grow and become mature? Paul says there's something wrong with a grown man who's still like breastfeeding. Isn't there? We know there is. Whatever the enlightened earth mothers tell me, I can't deal with it. I can't deal with it. Not when they're grown. It's not right. You have to get onto solid food. It's right for you to do that. So let's not eat milk forever like babies. Let's grow. Let's mature. Let's move on and start talking about how we can partner with God by the Spirit and not just be dependent on him. God, please give me a parking space. God, please give me this. God, please give me that. It's like, yes, but have I not also given you the entire earth already? Have I not already overcome it and bountifully shared with you all things? Yeah, but my bank account is low. Please give me some more money. It's not wrong to pray that, but we must learn what it's like to be a pneumatic mature person where we can stand in authority leadership sharing babies can't be trusted to look after other babies they're terrible at it <laughs> terrible and it's no good to us if we stay in the baby phase forever and then expect to be given spiritual authority and gifts and power because it's like God can't share those things with babies. He has to sort of supply their needs daily, daily, daily. And so the pneumatic life is not just a place of receiving and receiving and receiving. It's where we partner with God in disgorging and giving and giving and giving and sacrificing and surrendering and laying down our lives for others. This also is an expression of love. I mean, this is the kind of whole message here. The whole point is that we would be changed in our nature, characterized by the way that God is characterized. And so here's a natural person, here's a spiritual person. The natural person might look more self-sufficient than the spiritual person, certainly for a while. And many natural people tell me that being a Christian is a bit like being a little kid. You know, oh, you're a bit simple, you know, believe all those fairy stories. Right? Have you ever, anyone ever said that to you? 
Yeah, I sure have. But the thing is, you don't have to apologize for him. Neither do you have to stay utterly helpless. We can grow to a place of strength if we are pneumatic because things are spiritually received. They're spiritually enabled. They are received from the Spirit in all things. And yet they're not just for us to just have like extra birthday presents all the time to amass the amount of stuff that we have so that everyone can recognize, well, he's got a lot of stuff. Because that just nurtures our pride, doesn't it? But when we give it away, that's when it truly becomes the thing that it is, the gift of grace and favor to nurture and raise other people to a position of strength. So potted version of 1 Corinthians is there's a natural person and a pneumatic person. Be the pneumatic person by all means. But Paul's writing to people who already know this. And they say things like, I'm pneumatic. But Paul says, yeah, but there's still loads of divisions amongst you. That's no good. That's what chapter three is all about. He says, you know, one of you's following Paul, one of you's following Peter, one of you's following apostles or Apollos. Uh, there's no good. You can't make divisions in a pneumatic church. You might be personally very pneumatic. You might have all sorts of good gifts going on. But if you're still splitting the church up over divisions, it's no good. If you're pneumatic, but you're still perpetrating sexual immorality, bad news, chapter five, go read it. There's still reports of sexual immorality amongst you. Brothers, this should not be. Some of you are still taking each other to court in chapter six. You're still trying to squeeze every ounce out of each other. You're still trying to get, 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 get. Yeah, but everything is okay because I've been saved and therefore God always forgives me so I can get away with anything I like. Big news flash, chapters 8, 9, 10. I'm very pneumatic. I have miraculous gifts and I speak in tongues and I, I worship with great enthusiasm. Paul says, yeah, but there's something wrong because your church services are just like anything goes. There's no spiritual authority or accountability. There's no submission and humility. You guys are just going loopy and, and not actually helping each other rise up to a place of strength. That's what kind of chapters 10 to 12 are about. And then he gets to chapter 13, which Paul read to us a couple of weeks ago, didn't he? And now I will show you the most excellent way. Love, agape, self-giving. is patient, it's kind does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered or rude, it keeps no record of wrongs, does not delight in falsehood, but it rejoices in the truth, it is not easily angered. Oh, it's so good. The way of love is the same thing as the way of the pneuma, because it's the same person behind it all, isn't it? And I don't know about you, let me just share a vulnerability with you and we'll pray that God can help me overcome it and we'll finish. But my vulnerability is once I realize things are complex, I often feel like that means it doesn't matter. Like, feed the baby is not complex, is it? Simple, got to feed the baby. So that sounds easy. But participate in the democratic political landscape of the UK that's ugly complex. It's very hard for me because I'm like, well, all right, I could try, but 
oh, it's all such a mess and there's nobody really good in the whole mix and everyone's got their swings and roundabouts, but really it's so complicated that it almost becomes meaningless. Do you see? It's like, well, if something is complex, then it doesn't matter which way you go. This is my natural tendency here. This is me talking as a very unpneumatic person. This is my frustration. When I realize how complex something is, it feels like it doesn't even matter which way I go. But it does matter profoundly much. And what God wants most of all is a pneumatic person. Someone who doesn't just solve problems like that with their mind and, and with their thinking and with their education and stuff, but that we would learn to solve it with him. Walking by the Spirit. It's the same in our struggle against sin. You know, he says later in this book that, you know, you might be very pneumatic in the way that you've discerned incredible wisdom from God, but you've still got no power over sin. You know, it's still grabbing hold of you and enticing you, and you're still giving into it every time because you haven't actually walked it all the way out. You still want to be in constant receiving mode where everybody else does the work and you just get the benefits. Learning to put Put the metal on. Actually armor yourself. Equip and demonstrate the nature of God to people. That is the job where we can actually join in with this plan that God has to redeem the world and rescue it and save it. So that's my vulnerability. When I realize things are complex, I feel like giving up. It's like, ah, it's all much of a muchness. Who knows? Who knows? But God's invitation to me is to participate in the things of the Spirit and come to a place of strength and grace and mercy and compassion where I can share those things with others. If I'm still thinking like a child, I'm not ready to raise a child, am I? And that's why Paul says in chapter 13, when I was a child, I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child and I behaved like one because that's just what children are. It's not their fault. But when I'm a man, I, I learn to put childish ways behind me. And walk and talk like Jesus walks and talks. So that when I leave, people will feel like they've spent time with him, not just with needy old Pete Milner. Right? I think so. I think so. Because the thing is, we're not all supposed to be like the pastors of a church. It's not like the pastors are the best of us, is it? We're supposed to be as pneumatic when we're making um, fabric curtains as we are building arcs of the covenant as we are doing the dishes, as we are classroom teachers, as we are road sweeping, as we are doing whatever we do. We're working as one who works for God, spiritually enabled and propelled. This is the way that we're all called to, like Fortune was saying last week, to become a new generation of, of church-going people who are choosing this stuff for ourselves because we know what's good for us and we're stepping out to behave responsibly in that landscape. Yes, with childlike faith. Yes, knowing that he is our father and we are his children. That's our right because we have believed in Jesus and received him. This is a glorious gift. And yet the whole goal of God is to raise us to that place of maturity where we can look after the needs of others as well as our own. And so if you've been walking with God a long time and you think, oh, not really getting much out of church or I'm not really getting much out of life group or it's not really good for me might be a sign that there's a problem time to ask what's good for those around me how can I 
work with the Holy Spirit to bless others. And not just seek to receive a blessing, but to give one. Right? Oh, the pneumatic life. Invitation time. Would you, if you would like to be part of this great thing that God is doing in the world, to demonstrate his own nature through people who've not just come as little babies and been, you know, born again. Yes, good. But people who then also accept the invitation to grow up in him to a place of maturity and strength to change the world around us and bless and give even as he blesses and gives to us. If you'd like that, pray with me. Let's ask him for that renewal of the vision of an army of people who are not just childlike, but also having pressed onwards towards maturity, learn to differentiate between good and evil. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Well, yes, it is. Time to accept responsibility and become that great, amazing demonstration of Jesus's nature that we are always hoping that we'll be. Father, please, again, refresh our spirits, Lord God. Nurture our pneuma. For you have, un you have united your spirit with ours. You have filled us with all the power we need for grace and godliness in this present age. You have already given us by your divine power everything we need for life and godliness because of that incredible infilling. We've already received the inheritance, the deposit that guarantees all that we shall receive in life everlasting. But Lord, it is time for us to walk with you as not just your little baby kids, but as your adult kids. Lord, share with us your visions for this late day and age in which we live. Give us the grace and favor, Lord God, to be able to understand your will in our own lives. What are we to do about children, about the lonely, about those who are sick, about those who need this gospel and haven't heard yet? What are we to do about our neighbors, Lord? We want to live the pneumatic life and be filled with the Spirit in such a way that it just pours out of us because of how you've nurtured us and raised us to a place of strength and favor and blessing. God, we cry out to you because we know that this world needs you so much. And yet we are still some way short of seeing the fullness of the pneumatic prayer house. And we are excited, Lord God, because we believe that that is ahead of us that you will fill us with power and love and a sound mind and that you will give us ability to discern spirits and you, will, you give us the ability to walk faithfully with you. Thank you that the Christian life is not just something you do to us, God, but with us. And you, you want us in your counsel. You want our contributions. You care about how we participate, Lord God, and we thank you for that. It is a huge privilege for us. And so as we leave this place or as we reach out to each other over a hot drink in a minute or if we see each other in the week, Lord God, I pray that you would continue that work of building us up and strengthening us to a place of maturity and propelling us, ekbalo, catapulting us, shooting us out into that world, Lord God. Well, even if you are sending us as sheep among wolves, we know that you will protect us. We know that we have your favor and your blessing. And we especially pray that again over our brother Paul as he goes to a war-torn country, Lord God, that you would be faithful to your promise that no threat need come near our tent because your shadow is over us. Lord, but that, that it would also be true for each of us as we face down the different difficulties that we have to. 
family things, work things, money things, political things. Oh God, help us face it in fullness of courage and faith, having learned to distinguish right from wrong. Amen. Come on, what a great word. Hey, we hope that that was a blessing for you. If you want to connect with us and say hello and let us know what you thought about that, email connect at prayerhouse.uk or you can also send us a direct message on Facebook and Instagram and we will do our best to get back to you. If you want to know more about the prayer house, go to our website prayerhouse.uk. That's prayerhouse.uk. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and there's regular updates about what's happening here at the church. God bless you. See you next time.